Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoiseshek podcast. Let's all hope August is a little bit drier than July. Uh, we could all do with a little bit of sunshine in our lives. What you may not know is that the best time to join us is at the beginning of the month because you can sample all we have on offer in our entire back catalogue, all plea free in one consolidated feed for the price of a fancy cup of coffee and a scone. And if you don't think it's value for money at the end of the month, you just cancel. So why not join us today? Click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It's the easiest bit of activism you can do. A few quid from you goes a long way to keeping the space that we call the tortoise shack open and available for conversations like the one you're about to listen to. And if you're not in a position to join us, just tell people about us. Spread the word. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. We rely on word of mouth. Send your pal a WhatsApp and recommend one of our episodes. That'd be great. But if you can, click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Dr. Connor Crummy who is a colleague of mine in Minute University. He is in the uh, School of Law and Criminology, and he's assistant professor there. And uh, Connor has extensive research in the whole area of legal philosophy, constitutional theory, and public law. And we're going to talk about the right to housing referendum, uh, the proposal to put a right to housing in the Constitution, which listeners will be very familiar with to something um, that I've been advocating for many years and written about and am involved also in the um, coalition uh, Home for Good that has also been advocating for right to housing. And we're going to have a chat about where it's at now and some of the reasons why it's needed um, and what difference it might make. Connor, thanks a million for coming on Reboot Republic and having the chat today. Thanks so much for having me. Connor, just in terms of, um, I suppose, your own background and, and experience uh, and expertise in um, constitutional law and that area, maybe you could kind of set out to listeners, you know, what is that? Um, so, you know, why you're well worth listening to. <laughs> uh, sure. Well, so like I say, uh, like you said, um, I, I work on on legal philosophy, which is kind of, um, you know, abstract questions about the the nature of law and its relation to morality and things like this. But um, I also occasionally do useful stuff too around um, you know, the, the constitution and, and public law. Um, so why why constitutional law is important? Is that what you're asking? Or Yeah, just no, in terms of, yeah, your, your own kind of, you did uh, your own research. You've been researching in the area of constitutional law for quite a number of years and lecturing in it as well. So it would be fair, very accurate to describe you as an expert in constitutional law. Would that be correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I, I uh, did my kind of PhD research mainly on uh, UK constitutional law. Um, but I've moved back to Ireland. I've been working kind of in the last year or two on um, Irish constitutional stuff. Uh, so yeah, just trying to think about the, you know, the 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 rules that regulate our our relationship with the the state and how the state is set up and what uh what rights we uh we hold against the state and you know in this context trying to think about whether it would be 
um, uh, appropriate to insert a, a right to housing um, into that that nexus of rights that we hold against the state. Yeah, and just on that, maybe to start, kind of to go, you know, to draw on that whole area, which I think is, is so important to think about, you know, why the Constitution matters and, and what role the Constitution has in Ireland. So maybe start that even, you know, at a philosophical point of view and then a legal point of view. Why does the Constitution matter? Well, so the Constitution around the, as it relates to the housing crisis, is actually a... Um, it's probably quite a useful way of illustrating um, different ways that the constitution can matter, both in yeah. um, the the legal rights that it can give us against the state, and also just the um, the way that it structures the way that we talk about uh, politics. So, a lot of people will probably be aware that when it comes to um, the the housing crisis, and when it comes to calls to introduce laws, so ordinary laws that would um, help us to to deal with the housing crisis. So things like um, rental controls, things like eviction bans. Often the response is that we, uh, is that the, the government cannot introduce those sorts of laws because the constitution prevents them from, from doing that. So we're often in this context used to talking about the constitution as uh, something that stops us from uh, uh, introducing the the sorts of laws that some of us or a lot of us at least might uh, want to introduce, and the reason for that is that the constitution um, has quite a strong protection of private property. So this is what is usually said by the government is that uh, has been said by successive governments and acting on the advice of the attorney general has been we. We can't introduce these sorts of ordinary laws that, that some of you might like us to introduce because that would be an interference with the right to private property, mm-hmm. in particular the the right to landlords, uh, the right to private property of of landlords to to do with their their property as they wish. Now, most constitutional experts agree that that's a a misreading of the constitution. That actually, um, even without a right to housing the government is perfectly well able to introduce that sort of legislation that the constitution uh, allows them to to do that right that you can limit the right to to private property so just to get back to get back to your original question about you yeah. know the constitution and the different ways that it matters those are kind of two different ways kind of mixed up in that i think that we have the the legal way that it matters it 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 um prevents the introduction of um certain laws or it limits the sort sorts of laws that the uh, um the Oireachtas can pass then there's also the the political way that it matters where it um gives a kind of excuse to government not to introduce certain laws right so a a certain reading of the constitution gets you know, um introduced into kind of popular discourse in this context it's well there's a very strong protection of the right to private property and that kind of idea takes hold on it, and it allows for political uh, inaction, even if in a legal sense, it's not what most people would consider to be an accurate reading of the constitution. I strayed quite far for your original question there. But <laughs> and, and, and we'll get we'll get to there because I think, you know, you're introducing straight away the, you know, the key kind of the nub of the issue around this issue of private property rights, which are set out very, very strongly in the constitution. 
Um, but those rights within the constitution are balanced by um, the they, and can be limited, or sorry, not balanced, but they can be limited in terms of what is referred to as social justice and the common good. But I just want to step back again and, and push you a little bit on the constitution again and why it matters. And I suppose why I'm kind of pushing that is is because there's a lot of argument around well, why would you bother change the constitution? You can just put this into law. You know, you could put even, you know, put right to housing and policy. But I'm trying to step back and say, for in Ireland, the constitution holds, I think, um, uh, you know, and, and and you know, I know legal scholars would argue, and uh, you know, in terms of to get your view on this, it's almost like it holds an ethereal <laughs> value to people. Like it's like it's something that you know, whoever you talk to will say, "Oh, the Constitution." You know, if something's in the Constitution, it's something we all live by, and it's like it has a power above normal law, and 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 people respect it as that because of it's linked back to you know the foundation of the state, you know, the independence. The, there's something almost biblical in our constitution, I think, in its value and how people see it and respect it and think it should be implemented. And I suppose that was kind of what I was trying to see your thoughts on that. Okay, yeah, I think you're right to highlight that. So maybe I'm, I'm kind of used to talking about it in a slightly more kind of technical legal sense. But yeah, there's there's an enormous kind of um, symbolic importance to, mm. to the constitution and to things being in the constitution. Um, and you can see that in uh, in the referendum process as well. So the the, the referendum that we had to um, uh, remove the the prohibition on abortion uh, yeah. and to insert the right to to equal marriage, those were both important for the you know the legal consequences that they brought about. But I think equally important, they um, facilitated this kind of symbolic decision that we made about um, you know fundamental questions of, of political morality within the state about how, what kind of um, state we want to be and what kind of nation we want to be. So yeah, the constitution is is has always kind of been central to that and the, the referendum process for um, changing the constitution in which we come together and we, we make those sorts of decisions um, as a people is um, hugely significant for that, that kind of symbolic reason too. Yeah, and when you think about that, that, and perhaps it's how, in a way, our democracy has developed. That referendums, you know, going back to referendums around involvement with the EU, around you know various EU treaties, as you mentioned, you know, abortion, marriage equality, divorce. That it's almost like the constitution, the process of referendums within the constitution has been a key way in which social change has been brought about or stopped. And so it's almost this, it has become integral with how we decide as a society, what is our direction? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And, um, you know, we, we shouldn't romanticize it too much as a, as a kind of perfectly linear progress. You know, there, there have been times when through that process, we have taken steps back, right? Mm -hmm. When we have, um, I'm thinking in particular about uh, limits that we put on citizenship rights in in the early 2000s, but yeah, yeah it can it can certainly be a um, a really important vehicle for um, what we would consider to be progressive social change, uh, and we've we've seen that in the last couple of the years with uh, abortion and equal marriage, and hopefully we'll we'll see it at some stage with housing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of that then housing, you wrote an article for the Irish Times um, recently and um, it was very, very interesting in terms of the argument that you made and, and you referenced it earlier there around that, um, and this was in response to their introduction of the, or sorry, the, the lifting of the eviction ban, which really was, you know, again, you know, I've highlighted and, and listeners would be really, you know, angry and upset about their decision to do that. But one of the reasons they said that they had to do that was because of this right to private property and and the, what they referred to as potential legal implications of not um, of, of, of leaving it in place. But you wrote an article which challenged that and said that actually this was, as you referred to earlier, a misreading of the constitutional protection of um, private property. Maybe in the first instance you could say, just set out, you know, why you think that they could have, that really that, that, was, that wasn't an accurate reading to say that they had to lift the eviction ban due to the constitutional protection of the right to private property. Sure, yeah. So I made reference to that in the article. Um, I should say there's uh, a, a lot of that part of the argument that I made is, is based on this really brilliant article um, from a couple of years ago by uh, Hillary Hogan and, and Finn Keyes that I can um, I can send you a link to to tweet it or put it in the description of this this podcast if you like. Yeah, that'd be great. They, yeah, they really kind of forensically take apart that that particular argument that um, that the right to private property prevents you know, stuff like eviction bans. So um, I said this a little bit at the start, but it might be useful again just to go over what the what governments have said, um, you know, the constitution says in this area. Yeah. So there's um, these two protections of uh, private property, two references to private property in the constitution. And the government says that together, this just prevents them from introducing things like uh, rental caps or controls or eviction bans because by doing that, they would be interfering with the private property rights of landlords. And, you know, sorry guys, even if we wanted to do this, we couldn't, the constitution says that. Um, Now, part of why um, most people, most constitutional experts would agree that that's a misreading is that um, almost any rights in a constitution can be limited in certain circumstances, right? Rights are not generally completely absolute. Um, and the general test that courts used is called the proportionality test, where they ask- Explain okay, yourself was, briefly, Connor, just that, that term, uh, rights are not absolute. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, if you can think of any particular right that you might have, it doesn't need to be a constitutional right. Just you know, think of think of any right that you might have. You know, It could be a right to um, travel. It could be a right to freedom of speech. Generally, you can probably think of limits to that right. Okay, so I have a right to um, free speech, but I might not have a right to shout racial abuse at someone in the streets. Um, yeah. I have uh, a right to uh, travel, but I have to comply with the entry requirements of different countries that I'm I'm going into. Um, so the state can put limits on certain rights that we have. Right, it can. It can um, put in place, you know, criminalizations of of racial abuse. It can put in place entry requirements to the state, even though this, you know, that technically interferes with people's rights in in certain ways. So usually, what the courts will ask is, was the interference with this right 
proportionate to some aim that the state is trying to achieve. Okay, so can we find uh, some legitimate aim that the state is trying to achieve? And then was this interference with the right proportionate to that, or or did they go too far? Did they interfere yeah. with the right too much? So, um, in this context, for example, a um, a temporary ban on no fault evictions would be considered likely a proportionate interference with the right to private property, considering all the other circumstances. So that's that's one reason why the right to private property you know, isn't absolute; it can be limited. Uh, the other is that specifically in um, Article Forty Three of the Constitution is one that specifically enumerates the right to private property. And it says that the state uh, recognizes that the right mentions or recognizes that the right to private property um, ought to be regulated by the principles of social justice and says that so accordingly, the state can occasionally uh, delimit that right um, when considering the common good. So the right to private property can be limited if it's necessary to do so for reasons of the common good, such as, for example, to um, ensure that you know hundreds and thousands of people aren't made homeless during a, a particularly uh, difficult winter period or during a, a pandemic. So, the when the government says that um, that the the constitution doesn't allow them to introduce this sort of legislation because it would interfere with property rights, that's a really narrow reading of what the constitution says about property rights. Right. The Constitution does allow the limitation of property rights in, in certain circumstances, and most agree that it would allow for, for example, uh, eviction bans. I mean, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of, of everyone who's, who thinks and writes about the Constitution, but I think a lot of people would uh, agree with that. So there's a question there about whether the successive governments really think this about the Constitution, whether they you know, they, they genuinely believe that the constitution doesn't allow them to do this, in which case a lot of people think that they're wrong, or whether they're using the constitution um, to, uh, as an excuse for not introducing measures that they don't want to introduce for other political reasons. Yeah. I think, interestingly, you're kind of seeing less of the constitutional excuse this year. I, I think that, you know, maybe the um, the the temporary eviction ban that we saw earlier this year has kind of let the genie out of the bottle a little bit with that one. People now see, oh, the constitution does allow you to do things in, in certain circumstances. So you're starting to hear a lot more about, you know, economic arguments about landlords being forced out of the market instead and kind of, you know, yes. e equally fatuous arguments like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, because I did notice that in terms of the, the decision in lifting the ban, they definitely the issue of the legal question was much more in the background rather than been to the forefront as it was when they lifted the um, the last temporary eviction ban during COVID. They argued they couldn't extend it and, and the principal reason they set out really when they were pushed on that was the constitutional protection. Um, and so the, the question then, of course, arises then, well, if there is this, you know, ability to limit private property rights and and is it really the issue around as you say them using it as essentially a political excuse not to do things um or is it actually stopping them and this kind of debate over and back 
And I know, like, having been involved in the, um, and again, listeners will, will be familiar with this, that, you know, there is, the, the government um, uh, committed to holding a referendum on housing within the programme for government. It wasn't, and very clearly, it wasn't explicitly a right to housing, but a referendum on housing. And we understand that uh, the real pushback against the potential for a right to housing was from Fine Gael. Um, that the, and uh, subsequent to that, they set up a housing commission, which was tasked with uh, progressing a referendum on housing. That housing commission met um, at a number of meetings and they had a conference in May of last year. So well over a year ago when I presented at that and a number of people were involved in uh, a lot of legal scholars submitted to that. And, and I remember at that time, um, there was a number of, of really important inputs into it and that argument around there's from both, you know, there's two arguments put that on the one hand, yes, it can be seen as the constitution has been named as a potential barrier. But on the other hand, the constitutional scholars, and as you have said, saying, well, it's not actually a bar- barrier. But really, I think stepping back, the case is clear that whether it is a real barrier or is being used as a political vehicle, it is a barrier. And therefore, the way forward is clearly to um, amend it so that there's a very clear statutory right to housing. Um, But also, the other aspect with all this is that it's not just about the right to private property being balanced or not balanced. It's actually the, the lack of an obligation on the state to fulfill and deliver a right to housing um, is absent in the constitution. And really that, and for me, and I uh, and I know uh, Home for Good and others, that the key kind of thing that a right to housing, putting it in the constitution would deliver, would be actually creating what, you know, legal scholars refer to as this positive obligation on the state. That actually means they have to deliver a right to housing and putting that in the constitution would make that. In. And in a way, it, you know, what's your view on, um, on, on that in terms of, is that, does that merit putting the right to housing in the constitution and going through that process? And what's your view on that? Do we need to put a right to housing in the constitution? And why do you think we do? <laughs> Big question. Um, <laughs> I I think we do for the reasons you, that you said. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't downplay that kind of political symbolic reason that you were talking about at the start, that you're saying that, you know, even if there's not a, an actual constitutional legal barrier there, you know, there being an imaginary barrier that government can still point to is still a barrier, like you say. And mm-hmm. I think that removing that um, would be of of enormous significance. Um, and you know, the people having come together and having um, taken this decision to put a a right to housing at, at uh, in the constitution would kind of give a. a a constitutional lodestar to policy too, that it would be very difficult to resist um uh actually introducing legislation that would that would that would then um help to deal with these issues if the people had come together to remove that constitutional barrier. I say it would be very difficult to to resist. I mean I I thought it would be difficult to resist those pushes in the context of of a pandemic and a you know the crisis that we've been in, in the last year as well and, and that has still been resisted. But you know, nevertheless, I, I think that would help. In terms of inserting a a positive obligation on on the state, I think that would be worth doing. But it's it's probably worth cautioning how uh, you know 
thinking with some caution about what that would um, look like in practice um, and whether or not it would um, be enforceable before the the courts. So the the template here is probably the the South African Constitution, which mm. says that says first of all everyone has the right to have access to adequate housing, and then says that the state must take reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources um, to achieve the the progressive realization of this right. So progressive realization is the um, the key phrase there that it doesn't necessarily mean that you or I as an individual will be able to go before the court and say. I want you to tell the state that they now need to spend money on on housing, right? Um, because the court may likely say, well, the state is under an obligation to progressively realize this. So as long as they're going in the right direction, we're not going to get um, too involved in that. So I think that even with that kind of provision, even with that um, constitutional duty to um, provide housing, the the importance of it will be as much about the um, kind of political fulcrum that it gives for people to put pressure on the government as it is, as it will be uh, a, a legal right. I think the importance is likely to be much more in the, the tool that it gives for um, for political activists than for people appearing before the court, because courts tend to be very worried about what are called socioeconomic rights, so rights mm. that require uh, the the state to spend money, because they, as as judges, are not elected and they don't want to, you know, be seen to be overstepping their own constitutional role and telling the elected branches how to spend uh, public funds. Even in in the South African context, the constitution there has has many more socioeconomic rights and it's much more part of the constitutional culture than it is here. So even were that right to be inserted, I think it's it's probably likely that judges would be um, slightly more hesitant in its enforcement than um, than South African courts might be. But that's, you know, that is fairly speculative. So to answer the question, yes, I think it would be really important, but again, as much for political and symbolic reasons. Um, as for legal reasons, and it, it's an interesting one because I know that some of the the criticism of the referendum and uh, of inserting a right to housing in the constitution has been, or, or some of the critique of it and arguments has been that you know it it would mean anybody could turn up at the courts and say where is my house you know and uh, this this argument that it would and and the critics said oh it's just about giving everyone a free house and of course it's utter nonsense because no one has a free house. Um, everybody you know pays rent or a mortgage, and um, the of course it's really about a dig at social housing in terms of that critique, um, and and adding to that um idea that there's some people trying to scam the system through getting free housing, which which is again really a political. It's a political ideological argument as opposed to anything substantive. But that is something that they will throw at it, um, if it if it hopefully does progress. Um, and what would you say to that, that that argument? And and I think from what you're saying there is that, well, the point is the courts aren't just going to turn around and say, well, because there's a right to housing in the Constitution means that anybody who turns up saying, where's my house, that that's not how it's going to work. Yeah, I think as you just said, it's it's fairly simple. It just, it just won't do that. That just won't be what the right um, entitles people to. The courts wouldn't listen to that argument. Um, 
Now, what they might do is sometimes hold that the state has uh, failed in its obligation to provide for um, uh, to to fulfil its its obligation. So, in again, in the South African context, there's a a famous case called Grootboom, where this group of um, homeless adults and children had uh, previously been evicted in the middle of winter, uh, and they couldn't erect um, adequate shelters because their building materials had been bur- burned and bulldozed in a, a previous eviction. And they brought uh, emergency action against the government seeking temporary shelter, right? So um, until they could obtain permanent accommodation, so they weren't saying everyone needs to the go- the um, the courts need to tell the state to provide us with houses. They were saying the state needs to provide us with temporary shelter um, until we can find that permanent accommodation. And there the Constitutional Court said, yes, we agree, the state is in violation of its um, obligation to um, uh, enforce your your right of access to, to adequate housing here. So that's really the kind of level that, that we might be talking about, right? That in certain circumstances, the courts, uh, if they were so minded, might say, okay, under these circumstances, we think that the state has uh, failed to um, provide, to fulfill its obligations towards you. But that's very limited. Um, the, you know, the, the, everyone's going to be able to come and, and demand a, a, a house from the courts is, it's, it's, it's just a, a fantasy. I mean, is this something that you're worried about in terms of kind of um, far right agitating around this? Because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've heard a little bit of sort of concern that, you know, there will be some organisation around that particular claim in those quarters. Is, is is this something you know from your own work? Is is something to be concerned about? Yeah, like I, I think that in terms of, um, you know, where you could see organised opposition, um, to it and a whipping up of opposition at, at a you know at a community level it absolutely and the far right are already organizing around the right to housing and referring to um the right to housing being something that is coming to take people's homes off them or you know this argument of giving homes to refugees and you know the argument like they're they are seem to be and from what i've heard using the arguments that we're making around the right to housing as a way to further their far right arguments, um, and this is absolutely happening at the moment, right? You know, and, and it seems to be, you know, what would be from your kind of perspective looking at it a way to counter those? Um, just to say that it's nonsense. <laughs> it really is. I don't know how how effective that will be. Uh, I I don't know if. <laughs> us telling them that their arguments are nonsense on the Repeat Republic podcast is, is <laughs> gonna land, but but they are. The a right to housing is not gonna um entitle the state to take anyone's home away from them. Absolutely not. Um yeah, it's it's it it it, it is no it, there's no doubt, you know, that it's and not saying that to counter their arguments, but it's more to counter the or or to offer people who might be listening to them, you know, the well, what is actually this about? And and I think first of all, my understanding would be that if you put a right to housing in the constitution, that actually would strengthen people's right to their home, because it is about you know people's principal residence protecting that right. So actually, 
it would enhance people's um you know rights in terms of their home and rights from eviction be that owned or be that rented um and secondly the other argument about you know the the you know the, the housing for refugees etc obviously the, you know the starting point is that you know the putting a right to housing um in the constitution would actually strengthen housing for everybody because it puts more of an obligation on the state to fulfill those rights but secondly um you know refugees have a right to housing as well everybody has a right to housing you know regardless and and that um you know yeah in terms of that that's this is um you know really just them trying to whip up fear again and whip up the idea that you know the the state is prioritizing one group over another whereas in actual fact what this would do would for example force the state to prioritize um, people who are homeless, for example, and actually say that that is a breach of right to housing. So this is actually about progressing people who are, you know, being excluded in terms of housing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, if you're a, a homeowner and you're worried about your your home, it's going to have absolutely no bearing on on that, on those rights that you have, um, unless it, as you say, strengthens them them further. Um, if you're, I mean, I find it difficult to see even what the concern around refugees and and housing is, you know, beyond it just being a concern with there being refugees, right? Um, in I, I find it difficult to um, even hold that that argument in my head that providing providing housing to one group is going to somehow affect the other group, you know, the quote unquote Irish group that you're you're concerned about I it it's a right that will be able to be relied upon equally by everyone and will be um you know of equal benefit to to everyone it's it's not going to dilute the rights of um of of your group it's not going to mean that there's less housing available for your group or that the needs of your group are being um prioritized uh less it, it just isn't yeah, of course, you know, it absolutely is, as you say, you know, difficult to get your head around, you know, but of course they are just using housing as a way to whip up, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment and, and, and racist sentiment. And so there isn't a logic to it, but yeah. unfortunately we had to try and counter it. We have to, you know, at one level be seen, you know, not be seen, but show that actually what they're saying is not factually correct. So you have to engage with it at that level of saying, actually, this isn't factually correct, as you set out, that one group, you know, uh, disadvantages another by taking housing. Because the whole logic is the less public housing we have, the less right to housing means that, the, as you say, the, the so-called Irish that you're standing up for are the ones who lose out, you know, alongside refugees in that. And of course, they're not really concerned with housing and homelessness. What they're concerned with is whipping up you know, anti-immigrant and anti-refugee sentiment, but it is a real. Uh, unfortunately, it is a re. It, it is really uh, has been whipped up, and and it exists and is spreading within communities, and so that it is going to be part of the the right to housing debate. I think, unfortunately, mm. you know, which is 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 going to be even more important for us, to, you know, to be able to make the case and make the argument. Um, and just in terms of your own view on, you know, we, we've seen the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Housing Commission um, has been, has had a conference. 
they're due to develop a report. Um, it, it seems to be delayed. Do you have any sense of <laughs> what's going on there? And you know, it, it, within the legal community and and people who are you know interested in this, what's the the um, the expectation? Is there frustration? What's what's your sense of it? Um, I think the frustration will set in soon if it doesn't come. So the the housing commission, like you say, was asked to to produce a port a report, which was um expected around now. So we're we're still kind of within the zone of if it was, you know, um published tomorrow, it would be kind of just about within the the expected timeline. But uh, I'm I'm not at all clear why it hasn't been published. I mean, my understanding is that it's um it has been completed. So no, I don't I don't have any answer as to why it hasn't been published. But I mean I guess it's another reason to to keep up um kind of public pressure on this to keep up activism around it if it is something that is that is important to to people to um to demonstrate that it's it's not something that people are going to to lose the appetite for or are going to uh forget about so i think it's it's important for that reason to kind of keep the conversation around this going yeah absolutely and in terms of that report you know, it's similar. My understanding, um, and you can check out the the um, the Housing Commission um, minutes of their meetings are, are on um, the Housing Commission website, and, and I've looked at them. Um, and my understanding is yes, that they have a subcommittee, specific subcommittee, to progress the referendum. That that produced a report or recommendations um, is my understanding. Um, and that that obviously report now we're waiting for that to be published um, and possibly it's been brought in as part of the wider housing commission report that is being published but of course you know as you say we're expecting that now so um the, the i suppose the bi- the big issue will be what what do they recommend do they actually recommend a right to housing do they not recommend a right to housing um and I think it's really important that if they don't recommend that, that there will have to be campaigning and, and you know, advocacy around will actually, you know, we still need, we need that right to housing. But um, I really hope they do recommend it. What, what What's your sense of, do you think, well, you've no idea <laughs> they got to recommend it or not, but um, what, what, what do you think about how this might progress? So, I mean, I'm... I'm... You know, holding a, a hostage to fortune here, but I, I would be surprised if they did not recommend a, a right to housing, um, some wording uh, around a, a right to housing. I think the question is more likely to be, uh, or the, the kind of more important question is, is what that wording is going to look like, mm. whether they're going to put in wording that um, specifically limits the, the right to property or, or indicates some way in which this new provision will interact with the the right to property, whether they'll borrow terms from the, say, the South African um, provision like progressive realization and within its available resources and other things that gives the state a bit of wiggle room, whether they'll get more or less uh, wiggle room around the extent to which it needs to fulfill its obligations. I think it's more likely to turn on uh, kind of technical wording questions like that rather than will they recommend a, a, a right to housing at all. I would be fairly confident that they'll recommend um, some kind of housing, uh, some kind of right to housing. But, you know, you could 
release this podcast and they release this report and make me look like an idiot a, a week later. So I'm not sure. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. Because I think that the important point is that, as I said, okay, so let's let's work on the basis that they are recommending a right to housing. Um, as I said, if they don't, then there will be, I know, a significant uh, reaction from myself and others that, uh, if they don't even include the right to housing. But then, if, as you say, if you work on the basis that, let's say, they do recommend the right to housing, what type of wording, in your view, would be a good wording? Like, maybe not specifically, but you're referring to, you know, we know, for example, the home for good wording that um, I've been part of that we recommended um was around a very specific um, inclusion of a of a the the um, recommendation from Home for Good was a a, a new article specific article forty three a that w- states that the state would recognise and vindicate um, the right of all persons to have access to adequate housing and that of course is drawing on the United Nations definition of what is a right to housing being adequate affordable secure etc. And then um, that the state shall, through legislative and other measures, provide for the realisation of this right within its available resources. Have you a view yourself on what wording um, should be uh, put in and or or do you have you kind of developed that level of detail? I've so I've seen the home for good wording and I I think it's fairly good. It's uh, it's essentially repeating the the South African wording or the first two provisions, um, subclauses of the the South African provision, but um, changing the the wording very slightly to make it kind of just consistent with with Irish drafting. Um, so I yeah I think I think that is um, is is fairly good. I had seen a uh, there was a private members bill introduced by People Before Profit a, a couple of years ago that had a more um, explicit clause on how the new right would have a corresponding delimitation that put it of the right to, to property in the interest of, of uh, the public good. So probably unlikely that we'll see something like that, I think, um, just because the sorts of political debates that we've been talking about, it sounds a little bit more inflammatory if you, mm-hmm. if you say this is going to you know, cause a corresponding limitation in the right to private property. But I also don't think you really need that because as we've already been saying, you can limit the right to, part, to property. The right to property is is not absolute. Um, and just inserting a, uh, a new right to housing will tip that balance, right? It will be something that the courts now have to consider when they're thinking about the correct interpretation of the constitution, when they're thinking about how much, say, a right to private property needs to be limited, they will now have to consider, well, I also need to consider this new right to housing. So I think the main thing and um, the main thing that the uh, Homes for Good suggestion gets right is an an unambiguous right in very plain wording as the the first clause. So the state guarantees a right to um, adequate housing. Um, The other sorts of you know, little little words and clauses here and there will be important and will give the courts things that they need to consider and interpret. But I think that as the the sort of main headline provision is, is what's really important. And so there's, is there any areas you think could be improved on that or enhanced? Or you think, no, no, that's pretty good. If we get that, that will deliver. 
or as in within what it can do and within but that's something to to um yeah that, that that's that's a solid wording i think so i think so i mean i think people can overstate the importance of a word here and there as well yeah. you know the 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 courts are going to have to think about you know what are the what are the principles underpinning these words right mm-hmm. and the principles mm-hmm. underpinning these words aren't going to be changed hugely by one word here or there so they're still going to have to grapple with these difficult questions about what the right to housing actually means mm-hmm. how it interacts with the right to property with their own constitutional role um and whether they should be getting how the extent to which they should be getting involved in you know telling the state how it spends funds and these you know, difficult questions about political institutions and democracy that regardless of what the wording is those are the questions that the court's going to have to engage with so yeah i think that the 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 homes for good wording is uh is is pretty good i i wouldn't have a massive issue if a word or two gets changed here and there i just i think that I think that thinking about how the courts engage with the principles underpinning the wording is, you know, more important than, you know, as important as the wording itself, put it that way. Yeah, no, that's that's an important point that it's not, you know, the court, I I would think, would have to take like the substantive, whatever, underpinning rationale rather than specific words, but obviously it has to, to mean it. Is there a danger that if they recommended, we'd say a right to housing light, that it wouldn't hold that substantive uh, meaning that um, is there a danger that you could see a wording I, I have no idea like but uh, let's work on the basis that um, okay ideally they recommend something like home for good but if they were to come out with something that I don't know just said like oh I, like I don't know what would you insert that would be considered a right to housing light that actually wouldn't be effective something like you know, we agree, or I don't know, the Irish state believes in a right to housing, something like that. Like, is there a danger that, uh, well, clearly, you know, is there a, a possibility that if you submitted something that just didn't really have substantive meaning behind the wording, that actually it wouldn't be um, enforceable? Or is it the case that once a right to housing, whatever way it's mentioned, is in there? Like, for example, if you said, yeah, the right, this Irish state believes in the right to housing rather than the Irish state shall, you know, deliver the right to housing. Does that matter? I think it does, right? So I, I so I, I caution against putting too much important by by yeah. words. But you know, the courts do still have to um, interpret what they think the people have tried to do with the constitution, right? Mm-hmm. And if it looks like the people have changed the constitution in a way that doesn't make a right to housing enforceable in the courts, then that obviously matters. Um, so you might compare it with something like uh, Article Forty-Five of the Constitution, which sets out these uh, principles of of uh, social policy. Yeah. That that the for the guidance of the Oireachtas, but it very specifically says the application of those principles and making of laws shall be the care of the Oireachtas exclusively and shall not be cognizable by any court. So you might be thinking of something like that. That some provision that that you know, uh, rhetorically states that the the right to housing is considered or that housing as a social good is considered important under the constitution, but just sets out that this is something that the Oireachtas needs to pursue and that can't be 
uh, challenged or enforced in the courts, something like that. So, I mean, if there was if there was wording like that, then yes, that would make an enormous difference to um, how the courts would would treat that piece of legislation. Again, hostage to fortune fortune shouldn't make too many predictions about a report that's that's due to come out. I'd be fairly surprised if it was a totally um, unenforceable uh, provision like that one. Um, I, I certainly don't think that would do anything to quell the demands for a right to to housing in the constitution. Yeah, yeah. And, and is there similarly a danger that it's some halfway house that isn't really <laughs> enforceable? But like, is there, like you really need, my understanding is you do need a strong wording that like the the... That there's not like some halfway house that can actually be, it's almost like symbolic without the 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 meat behind it. That you know, that's. I think so. I mean, regardless, it will be up to the courts to interpret that provision. Then, yeah. Right. So if if there was a, I, I mean, I'm not sure what a what a mealy halfway house provision would would look like, but su- yeah. suppose there was, and it and it seemed like it was ambiguous about whether or not this was something that people could actually go to court to have enforced. The courts could still interpret that as meaning that we are able to enforce this. Right. So okay. that's um so even in, in the South African context, for example, you know, it wasn't some people made the argument when the right to housing first came before the courts that look, this is a socioeconomic right. It should not be enforced by the courts for all of these democratic reasons. And the courts decided, no, that's that's not how we're going to interpret it. We think it can be enforced in certain limited circumstances, but we're we're still going to be um, cognizant of our of our own role. Um, even the whole idea of uh, courts striking down legislation to begin with, right? That's in the the U.S. context, for example. That's not something that it explicitly says in the Constitution can be done anywhere. The courts took it upon themselves in a, a case called Marbury and Madison to say. No, we actually think that this is a part that the constitution grants us. So courts can interpret um, you know, the sort of imaginary ambiguous provision that we're that we're thinking of in a way that gives them the power to enforce it. But that's not really the way you want this to work, right? You don't want to insert something ambiguous that, to then leave up to the, you know, unelected branch to decide to fill out themselves. Again, going back to this sort of uh, you know, political symbolic importance of making these decisions for ourselves through a referendum. If if we're making a decision for ourselves about what the constitution looks like, about um, the principles that we want the state to be structured um, under, we want to be clear about what that is and what that that entails. So I think you know, for that reason, we want this to be kind of clear and unambiguous. Yeah, no, that's. You know, point I absolutely agree with, and and I think that's very clear. The, the other side of it is something that um, I suppose it goes back to the the question of okay, so on the one hand, you have the courts who can interpret, you know, um, you know, putting a right to housing in the constitution makes this legal right there that courts can enforce potentially. But the other side of it, um, and this is something we chatted about before, is that it's almost like there's three parts to this. One is the, there's three reasons for 
you know, progressing with this. One is the actual, as you've put there, you know, and putting in place an actual legal right to housing that can be enforced by the courts, which sets a kind of floor for standards around what we accept as a society. Um, and the other is then the kind of political symbolic value of having this whole referendum process where we debate and decide and uh, would deliberate and actually go, no, we want to treat housing as a human right. And that has a massive uh, symbolic weight into the future for courts, for government, for everything. But then actually what I referred to earlier, which is this positive obligation on the government, on the state to actually put in place that right. So it means that it's not just that a right to housing sits there in the constitution and it waits until someone brings the court to enforce it. Isn't there, or maybe you could explain what is there, uh, obligation on the branches of government, on the branches of the state to implement something that's in the constitution, like that isn't just like a principle, but that is actually like did you refer to earlier, the social uh, principles. But in if we, for example, put that wording um, that we've set out in the Home for Good into the Constitution, that that would require the state to actually go, OK, how are we doing this? We have to, for example, set up, you know, uh, policy analysis of the right of uh, housing policy that would include the right to housing. It does. The Oireachtas has to follow. Government has to follow and implement the Constitution, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> now, now, you said it. it doesn't have to wait around for someone to bring a case and to try and, and enforce it. That's not quite accurate. I mean, technically it does, right? Technically, if it if it if government ignored this entirely, yes. we would we would still need to wait for someone to you know bring a, bring a challenge. But you would hope that the knowledge that that challenge will be brought and will likely be successful um, kind of conditions government and, and makes them act preemptively. And you know you like to think that as well. Some of the these are decent people who just want to follow what the constitution unambiguously uh, yeah. requires. Um, but I mean, you could compare it, say, with the. But but the, sorry, just to push you on that a bit, like so, when they introduce legislation, all legislation has to be constitutional and deemed mm-hmm. to be constitutional. But maybe it's just a negative right in the sense that if. Um, once it's not against the right to housing, then it doesn't really matter. But is there not like, there's not a positive obligation if you're developing, for example, um, housing policy, like the new national housing policy for all, for example, if if there was a right to housing in the constitution, would that policy not have to make some reference to that, even at a minimum level? Or could it completely ignore it? And similarly with new legislation around, for example, affordable housing a new legislation that they passed, for example, to deem, you know, create uh, affordable housing schemes that they would have to at a minimum reference that a right to housing is in the constitution and how this legislation is in line with that. So I, I think maybe it's important to separate out the different ways that, that the constitution can work. So one is by, um, like you say, a kind of negative check on what the state mm. can do. So they, you know, uh, a piece of legislation is introduced that very obviously seems to violate the constitutional right to free speech. So they just can't introduce that, right? It gets, it, or it, they introduce it, it gets challenged, it gets struck yeah. down. Yeah. Now, a, a, a sort of positive obligation like this doesn't, constitution doesn't work in quite the same way. So if if the government introduces a piece of legislation and it's passed by the Oireachtas that, you know, deals with, um, you know, 
provides for further um, affordable housing in some way. They're not going to look at that and say, well, that violates the constitutional obligation to provide for affordable housing. You might say they're not doing enough, mm. but that's th that's a kind of more gradual judgment that you can make. It's not really a judgment you'd make about that individual piece mm. of legislation in the same way as, say, the constitution requires the provision of uh, free primary education, mm. right, which um, we, we, we do that pretty well. But so, suppose a, a, a bill is introduced providing for you know, more free primary education in a particular area of Ireland, we're not going to say, does this violate the right to free primary education? Right? That that just doesn't make sense. But what we can ask is, in as a as an overall picture, has the government fulfilled its obligation to provide for free primary education? So the sort of question that you're pointing to about is legislation compatible with the constitutional right? That's the sort of question we would ask if, for example, the government introduced legislation restricting the amount of affordable housing that was being built, right? Yeah. So it would it would it would act as a check in that way. Um, but as for the kind of positive obligation to provide social housing, that would be a um, that that's a kind of more gradual judgment that we have to come to of whether the 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 state, in a kind of broader sense, is um, fulfilling that obligation. So, so it's more, it, it's more, yeah, it, it's more that in the process of the referendum, in the people deciding that this is something that we want prioritized and valued, that then creates, it gives a mandate and creates uh, an obligation on the current, whatever government is in place and future governments to fulfill that essentially. So it's more like it's creating this political obligation. And if governments turn around and don't fulfill that and put that in place, then they're essentially ignoring the will of the people and they will be, you know, politically assume you pay the price for that. But it's so it's it is more creating. It's a process of creating a political, as you call that symbolic um, requirement to fulfill that and, and and a benchmark by which they will be held to account by into the future. When you look at, for example, the the um, the, uh, you know, the obligation to provide pri free primary education, that they are held to account to that through numerous ways in the public, you know, in, in Oireachtas. And similarly, if we get a right to housing, and hopefully it's not if, when we get a right to housing in the constitution, that all future governments will be held to account. How are they fulfilling that that's in the constitution? Yeah, exactly. But it, uh I, I do want to understate the the possible legal effects of it as well, right? Yeah. So, um, suppose someone um is has been evicted from their home, and there is no social or affordable housing available at all in their area. They might be able to go to court and say the state is in violation of of its obligation to provide uh, adequate housing for me, and the courts may say yes, you're. You're correct. The state is in violation of that legal obligation. What the court then requires of the state is a kind of further question that we can't be as sure of now. So it may simply order the state. It may give a, a declaratory order saying you need to figure this out essentially, um, and that in turn puts does put political pressure on the state, but also puts them under a, a legal obligation to act. And, um, Similarly, if someone is is being evicted from their home and wants to challenge that eviction, wants to say that the courts should not um, 
should not enforce this eviction. They'll be able to point to that as something that the courts need to consider. So when the court is trying to, to uh, balance, should I enforce this eviction order? One of the things they'll need to consider is, um, well, this tenant has a constitutional right to housing. There is no um, social or affordable housing at all available to, to them. They are going to be, there's not an emergency accommodation available to them. They are going to be made homeless. Then that's going to um, factor in whether as a legal matter, the court should enforce that, that eviction or not. So it will have real legal effects, um, but we, we should just be you know, cautious about those uh, and, and cognizant of the fact that the, the political side of this is, I think, equally as important and maybe where the real change might happen. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I do actually think that it's it's that combination of, you know, putting in place almost that legal, um, it, you know, it has to be there that legal, um, potential that would then you know that hangs there in a way as um that potential and that government will have to. And I can't see how a government if we have you know again it's saying if when we have the referendum because I think we have to have it, um. That, you know, a, a government, whatever government is in place, if the people vote, which hopefully they will, in favour of putting a right to housing in the constitution, I think it would be a complete game changer in terms of how we, how all housing is looked at, how property is looked at, and therefore change will come, you know, and it, it it's not the same as repeal or marriage equality in, in terms of like this, this instant change in, in, you know, in what is available or what's not, you know, what people can do. It is more likely to be a much bigger, you know, slower uh, change. But in some respects, it could also be very quick. As you say, for example, you think of people who are being evicted. You think of people in terms of homelessness, how they are very clearly legal, you know, breaches of the legal right to housing. That, But this would be a massive, I think, macro level sort of big picture uh, game changer that would really, I think, set us up for getting us, you know, on a path that would... Um, ensure housing was was delivered and treated as a human right and i think yeah no I, I i agree entirely like it would it would have a um short-term effects in that it would give people that legal tool that they can use in some of these cases that we're talking about but yeah i think fundamentally it could reorient how we think about housing um like you said you know at, at the beginning um, the, the constitution has this, in some ways, really kind of outsized position in public psyche, right? And you know, we constitutional rights are are thought of as uh, you know deeply fundamental, as deeply tied to the national identity. And I think that putting putting housing in there um, and changing how we think about the relationship between housing and uh, property, say, would be a pretty seismic change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Connor, that was a, a fantastic conversation and a, and a bit of a mammoth one. And <laughs> thanks for sticking with it. Um, and well done to all the listeners who are still with us. Um, and uh, but I know it is something that um, uh, our listeners are really interested in, and a lot of people are, and increasingly, um, different NGOs and organisations and community groups are interested in this and want to find out more. Um, and are looking for this to be progressed. So I, I think this will this conversation will be very valuable as a resource for them and continuing the conversation. And also, as you said, uh, 
um, putting the pressure on and saying, you know, where is where is the referendum uh, that we need um, to progress it? Because the political window or what you might call, you know, for holding the referendum is narrowing as well in terms of there's going to be local elections next June um, and probably a general election in the autumn or well, it has to be by the February of 2025 anyway. Um, but so I, I think really the government will need to progress very quickly on this if they're actually going to do it um, and hold it. Listen, Connor, thanks so much for joining me on Reboot Republic today. It was great. Great chat. Thanks so much for having me. Very good to chat with you. And um, thanks, Connor. They're really, really interesting. Um, and hopefully, as I said, this will be progressed rapidly, but I think um, if this government doesn't do it, uh, the next government will have to, and we will be absolutely making it a key election issue if this government doesn't do it. Um, and it is so important that the right to housing is progressed. And as always, listeners, thank you for staying with us. Um, if you can, we are a independent media, as you know, Tortoise Shack Media, produced by Tony Groves. Um, and we rely on you as patrons to keep us in the game and keep us producing these which are so valuable, so important as um, you know we, we know and thank you so much and if you can share the podcast around on social media, let people know you're listening and of course take action as well if you can, if you're involved anywhere uh, fair play to you, keep at it and um, we will talk to you all very very soon 